0: Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. This is always one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough or even if they don't dictate it, it is almost always the case, at least for the rest of the year, during my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Today is December 16th, 2009. It's a Wednesday. Beautiful, sunny day. 37 degrees uh, in in Dallas-Fort Worth with an overnight low down in the 20s again. Uh, so the last vestiges of anything that was a summer crop are completely decimated and dead by now. Not that any of it was doing All right, anyway, there was a green spot or two on a leaf that I hadn't cut out yet. But we're out to our winter crops now, folks, Uh, spinach and lettuce and Swiss chard and uh, winter peas uh, for the next few months is about all that will be coming out of the garden. The topic of today's show, though, is going to have absolutely nothing to do with my garden or anybody's garden. We're going to talk about the economy across the world and some of the things that are going on out there, some of the economic indicators that I like to watch. Uh, All of this is going to be very current news from a variety of sources, some big-name publications and some little ones. And we're going to look at what's happening, and we're going to look in different parts of the world, not just here at home, and we're going to see how these things uh, pertain to us. And I'm going to tell you something that your government just did. In, in, uh, on one end declaring a financial victory, on the other end, you, you just won't believe it when I get into it. So, this should be an interesting show. Before that, though, let's knock out our housekeeping. Um, first up today uh, sponsor of the day number one uh, solutions from science and their survival seed bank I I think if you are concerned about preserving your long-term ability to grow food that this product is something you really should look at I want to be clear this is not a product for you to buy open up and plant the seeds next next year when it gets warm out this is a product that's designed to be stored for 20 years or more and make sure that you have a seed bank of heirloom seeds good quality vegetables that uh, it has a sustainability of at least 20 years. That's what this product's for. So just like you have some food that's maybe 10 or 20-year storage food uh, that's there in case, that's what this is for. Uh, Next uh, sponsor of the day today is Western Botanicals. Really check out their website, guys. I really want you to see some of the things that they've got available to you. Uh, Dr. Kyle Christensen is just a great guy. We had him on for an interview. Uh, Remember, if you're a a member support brigade member, you can get a 10% Discount off of all purchases that's available uh, when you log into the MSV. Next up uh, forum. Join the forum. Get involved with the forum. not going to say much more than that today. Uh, also check out the gear shop. I think uh, Christmas is coming, but we still have time to get stuff out to you. The t-shirts are awesome, and the challenge coins are awesome. Unfortunately, you can't get the challenge coins by Christmas time. They'll uh, they'll be coming later in the year. Uh, actually, later next year, early February, they'll ship. But the t-shirts, we ship those right now, so check them out. Consider joining the member support brigade. I just mentioned one of the benefits is 10% discount on all purchases from Western Botanicals. It's also 10% off of Ron Hood's DVDs at Survival.com. Uh, there's discounts for TerraPrints.com, which is a really cool product I think you should check out. There's a ton of discounts, ton of e-publications, about $150 worth of value from day one. Cost to support the show, $0.20 cents an episode, 5 bucks a, week, a month, or uh, $50 a year, it's up to you. Alright, so with that, let's get on into the uh, show. I, I want to Take you back in time a little bit, and if you're a new listener, you can go back and find this, or you can just trust me on this. I've said on quite a few shows in the past that one of the most dangerous things that can happen in the United States economy right now is its recovery. People think I'm crazy when I say that because they don't understand it. Uh, recovery is the beginning of the next depression, it, it really is. What happens during an economic recovery is prices go up on everything. You have Widespread inflation, but if it's held in check into the single digits uh, for the first maybe year or two of it, it doesn't look like an inflation and a bad thing. It looks like a recovery and a good thing. And then eventually the inflation begins to run away from earnings power, and then what you have is inflated prices across the board, business models built on those inflated prices, real estate markets built on those inflated prices, and when the money stops getting spent because people don't. Have have it anymore, everything falls out from under the bottom and you get a big crash. Um, and when I say that, people are a little bit skeptical because who am I? I'm not an economist. I didn't go to any you know, major financial institution to get my education. I've, I'm a high school graduate that did a few years in the Army. That's my sum total of my education other than my business career. And uh, So who am I to make uh, advanced uh, economic uh, projections like that? Well, all I do is pay attention to what's going on around me and pay attention to the way a small business works, and you can see the same things in a small business or in a local economy, and you see the same patterns. So if it works on a small scale, does it work on a big scale? What about a scale like China? You see, there's a, there's a story out today from Bloomberg. It's The headline is, Chinese families see excess. Of inflation, All we've been hearing during this recession is the one bright spot is Asia, and specifically China. Right through the recession, China's growing at 8% a year. While our economy is collapsing, theirs is expanding. And I've said that that is, is, is in some ways a good thing for them, and a bad thing for us. And But I also said there would always be consequences to things like this. Now here's the consequence for China. The way China has maintained its growth is primarily through the export business. And they've done this by pegging their currency to our dollar. And what they do is they make their currency a lot weaker than our dollar. And if you look at the Chinese currency and the U.S. currency on a chart and compare the two, you'll see a big gap between the two of them. But you'll see that the lines run almost perfectly horizontally with each other. Whenever we do something stupid, they do something stupid too. Uh, In other words, when we print more money, they print more money. They control their monetary policy to ensure that they have a advantage for exports to the United States. To do that over the last couple of years, they've had to inflate their currency at the same rate that we have. Let me say that again. To make that stay put, you know that $3 trillion that we pumped in? They had to pump a current amount of money into their own economy. Some of it came from buying our, our debt, in in their little Ponzi money fiat currency scheme, and some they just printed. Now, what happens when you have a a rapidly growing economy and an inflation of money? Eventually, prices run away. And what they're freaked out about, think about this now. This is going to sound like it's not going to make any sense to you. The price of property, real estate in China, this year went up 5.7%, and this is causing a problem. Now, I think most people in America, when our property goes up 5.7 percent in value, we tend to feel good about it. That's an equity yield, right? And when we sell our property, it is appreciated. We're going to make money. We don't like it when the tax assessor says it went up and jacks our taxes up. But overall, the U.S. economy responds well when real estate values increase up to a point. At 5.7 percent increase over a year is, you know, well within the range of what's okay for us. But see, for the Chinese, this is their first taste of this. Because we have so many Chinese moving from the countryside into the cities now, driving up the prices of housing, and then they have a very low wage. So these things are combining. But what you're seeing here in another part of the world is exactly what I've predicted for us. As the economy rebounds... And you've already put the money in. It's almost impossible to take it back out, because if you do, you stop the rebound. The timing has to be absolutely perfect, and I don't trust any of these idiots to get anything perfect. And if they don't pull the money back out at the right time, the inflation starts to run away. And once the inflation starts to run away, now you can't pull the money out. Because now it's too late. Now if you pull the money out, you go into a complete tailspin of a depression. So you leave the money in, and inflation runs away, and eventually you have one anyway. That's what China's seeing. Now, the the good news for China is they have so much growth ahead of them. There are so many things to be done there that they'll probably recover from this, because this is a small thing when you're talking about an economy the size of the Chinese economy that's just getting its feet underneath it. The bad news for us is We're a much more mature economy, and when we have our recovery at the end of this recession, it will be the beginning of the next big drop, and it will drop further. That's what you see here. That's what you're going to see on our own shores. So check this story out from Bloomberg. The next one I found in a little independent publication called the Red, White, and Blue Press. And I generally don't use them for source stories, not them in particular, but smaller publications for source stories about news unless it's verifiable. But this is extremely verifiable, so we'll give a little guy some uh, publicity here. And their headline is, Unemployment benefits are being extended six months by a defense bill. So while the President of the United States is being interviewed by Oprah Winfrey giving himself a B-plus for saving the economy and saying the recession is over and we are in recovery, right? While the ass clown is saying that, while his own cabinet members are declaring that the recession is over, Um, and some other things we'll talk about in a minute are going on, they're extending unemployment benefits and the way they're doing it is as a rider so there's a defense bill up uh In in our uh, in our legislation right now, I think it has a must pass by date of the 18th or something. So this week it's got to come to a vote. It looks like it's going to definitely pass. And what they did is they shoved the unemployment thing in there to get the votes to pass the defense spending bill. Because if you vote against it now, you're voting against giving poor workers an extension on their. You know you want them to starve. So that's the political game being played there. But you're not really hearing much about it. And what you'll hear about. You'll hear about it after it happens, after like, oh, like it's it's brand new news, right? And what this does is it lets people that are collecting benefits for not working continue to collect benefits for not working for a longer period of time, another six months. Now, I don't know if this is going to go through. I don't know the exact details, but if you're telling me that the recession is over, we're on our way into rebound and recovery, and that unemployment numbers should be falling, why are we extending Uh, Unemployment benefits by six months. Again, not 90 days, not 60 days, six months. A half a year that we're expecting people to continue to need unemployment benefits. That should be something very telling about the economic recovery that we're going into. Remember, I forecasted for 2009, 2010, possibly into 2011, a false recovery. And it's toward the tail end of that when you're going to really start seeing the unemployment numbers come way back down to expected norms and people get really confident. And then that's the cliff that we go off of the other side. These are the first legs of that. And due to the fact that it's a false recovery, you're not seeing the jobs come back. Most of these jobs are never going to come back. And when the stimulus money runs out, I think what we're going to see is the rug pulled out from underneath a lot of the saved jobs. But remember, the stimulus money hasn't been spent. Most Most of it still is not spent. It really starts to hit the ground heavy in March of the coming year. So keep keep that in mind as we move forward today. Now here's the one that's going to piss you off, guys. If this doesn't piss you off, I have to ask you if you care at all what the government does with your tax dollars and with your money and what kind of deals go on behind closed doors. This one is unbelievable. Remember that TARP money that... uh, Prior ass Clown and the, full, and the present ass Clown both were really in favor of giving to the banks, you know, like Citibank, that, that TARP money, that those $700, $800 billion of our money that bailed out the banks. And that big chunk of it, several hundred billion, that went to uh, Citibank, Citigroup. And remember how, with much fanfare, the Ask Clown announced to us uh, a couple weeks ago that Citibank was going to pay the money back and we were going to make a profit? And it, you know, we wouldn't use it to pay off the debt. We could now do more programs and build bigger government and use it for things like expanding uh, government programs and how great that was. Yeah. Here, here's how this works. Um, under TARP, when the bank took the money, they got a bunch of tax breaks while they had the money. And then they were supposed to, once the money was repaid, and the government walks away and stops controlling the bank, and the bank goes back into complete private hands... Right, The bank is supposed to go back to paying those taxes. right? And those taxes, of course, are paid every single year that there's a profit. Over and over and over again. So this is revenue back to us, the taxpayers. I guess not really us, the taxpayers, but revenue to the government. And if it doesn't come from Citibank, it has to come from you and me. Somebody's going to pay it because the government's going to fund their programs. But what the Obama administration did very quietly, and this is a story in the Washington Post, was make a deal with Citigroup. They would pay the money back, but the government would allow them to retain the tax breaks indefinitely. So this is billions of dollars a year in taxes that Citigroup will now not pay. Because they're getting the same break they were as part of the thing that was supposed to save them, even though they've now made billions in profits, got enough money to pay the money back. So why would this happen? Because Citigroup knew they could get it done, because Barack Obama Obama is desperate to say, see, it's working. And get that money back. And now that they have that money back, instead of giving it to us, the taxpayers, by paying the freaking debt or reducing our tax burden, it's going to go to expand government. That allowed the Obama administration to get their hands on this money quickly. Under the auspices of it was spent anyway, now, we're gonna, now it's going to do double duty. It's already saved the economy, now we're going to use it to grow the economy. Isn't that great? We're recycling this money that was already there. But the cost is a huge loss to the American uh, tax revenue system. Citigroup will save billions and billions and billions of dollars long-term in this deal. So we fattened the profits for the banks on both ends. We gave them our money at no interest. We let them run their own show. We let them profit to the tune of billions of dollars. Give us the money back. Keep the tax breaks and go on about their merry Fartin way. Ain't that nice? And Obama's got your back. Remember, he's going to take care of Main Street, not Wall Street. The days of the big bankers are, are done. So, <laughs> You're going to love the next story, guys. All right. Remember, that one was from the Washington Post. Verified story, the deal went down, billions of dollars in tax breaks extended to Citigroup in return for paying the money that they had to pay back anyway. Well, Obama got up on his high horse. And the 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 legislature just passed and threw on his desk a financial um, what is the word I'm looking for um, financial overhaul bill. And this story comes from the Examiner, which is a progressive. Read that screaming, crazy, liberal Democrat publication out of Louisiana, and they seem to think this was a good thing. I wonder if they know, I wonder if the people at the Examiner that think this is a good thing know that Obama just cut this deal with Citibank while he's talking out the other side of his mouth doing this one. So it's a financial overhaul bill that was passed, and of course the banks opposed it. When I tell you what's in it, you'll understand why they opposed it. But then he got up on his high horse and chastised the bankers for opposing it and said, you know, You don't understand. We're trying to save America from what you did to it. You did this. And we're going to make sure it never happens again. Because under this new legislation, the federal government has the power to look at an organization, a financial institution, a bank, and say, you've gotten too big to fail. You might fail. Not you are failing. Not you're in danger of failing. We think if you fail, it will be bad, even if you look solid. So, we're going to break you up into smaller organizations against your will, and against the will of your shareholders, and there's nothing you can do about it. So, Citigroup, you know, we gave you those tax breaks, and that's great. Can you see the other shoe dropping on this one? All right, this is why you don't make deals with the devil. That's great, you know, but your tax break's not going to apply anymore when we break you up into five smaller uh, institutions under our direct control over the restructure, even though there's no reason to do this other than we want to, because we think you're too big to fail now. And basically what this says is if a financial institution is large enough that its failure poses a severe risk to the United States economy, the federal government now has the power to go in and break that organization up. It also created an agency to oversee consumer banking. And these people at the examiner think this is a good thing. You can sell, tell the story is fun as, man. This is, you know, this is great. This is Obama's taking care of us, man. Um, create an agency to oversee consumer banking. Don't we already have about eight of those? You know, well, what's the FDIC? Honestly, what's the Federal Reserve? Even though it's not a government organization. What, what, what do you think the Secretary of the Treasury does. And what do you think the multiple departments underneath him do? Do you think the banks are unregulated? Do you think consumer banking's not regulated already? You don't think there's a thousand million freaking people up there in Washington right now sticking their nose into the banker's business on a daily basis? But now we're creating a new agency to do the same thing. More government spending. I guess we'll use the money that we got back in the TARP program to grow the government and create this great organization. Isn't it wonderful Doesn't this make you proud to be an American? Proud of your government? Proud of the change and hope that's being brought to you? Doesn't this just sound like a big pile of steam and crap, folks, really, when you think about it? Oh, but I wish, I wish that I was done today. I wish I said, this is a short one. There wasn't that much for me to find to complain about today, folks. I really wish it was that way, but it's not. i got so much more for you. Um, imagine my surprise today when I woke up and uh, Matt Lauer on the Today Show or whatever the hell crap he's on was going, drum roll, please. And they were announcing the time, man of the year. Ben Bernanke chairman of the fed king ben man of the year what do they call him the great scholar of the depression that's great sounds like he knows how to replicate it you look at the great depression they had a great big rebound after the crash too folks it went way 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 up for a couple years and then it slid down the other side and it went into oblivion great scholar of the depression indeed so this guy $3 trillion worth of our money, which put us $3 trillion greater in debt, backed financial policies by the administration that grow the deficit by $10 trillion between now and 2020. When he was asked where the $3 trillion went and said, hey, make this information public. We want to know what you did with our money. He said, I don't have to, and I'm not going to. And even though Forbes sued him, he said Bloomberg sued him too, not going to do it. Still not going to do it. Where did the $3 trillion went? They went to financial institutions. Yeah, I went to financial institutions all around the world, folks. Your debt went to Europe, your debt went to Britain, your debt went to uh, Northern Africa, your debt went to India, your debt went to China and Japan. That's where your $3 trillion worth of debt went. That's why they won't tell you where it went. Notice that they tell you where all the tarp money went, because it all went mostly, anyway, to United States institutions, right? Right? Tell you about all, all the money that went to Freddie Mac and Fannie Mae and AIG, but this $3 trillion that came out of the backside of the Fed, we can't tell you where it went. Hey, we, we can't tell you. Just can't. So now he's man of the year. Isn't that great? Isn't that absolutely outstanding? So now let's look at how all of this this all this pegs together. Your government is extending unemployment benefits for a 6-month period to people that have already exhausted the benefits and several extensions. While they're saying out of the other side of their mouth that our economy is recovering and the recession is over. We're still going to extend benefits another half a year. On top of that, the United States federal government is making a back-end deal with Citibank. To get your TARP money back and use it to grow government programs it was never intended for in exchange for tax breaks that exceed the entire TARP contribution within just a few years and then remain permanent and become part of Citibank's ability to make a profit going forward when we were told that the bankers making too much money is what caused the problem in the first place. While that's going on, your ass clown president standing in front of the Senate chastising bankers for resisting... A financial overhaul designed to protect you from the evil banker, who they now have the authority to go in and break up into smaller banks because they just feel that they might be a threat. And they're creating a new agency with the money to oversee banking, which is already the most regulated business in America today. Ben Bernanke, who's helped fund the whole damn thing, is time's man of the year. Do we need any more proof of of media bias at all? Could there be any doubt that those things all come on a single day, that we get to see all of that play to fruition? Now... Why do I talk about stuff like this sometimes? I, I leave, hey, here's how to store food, here's how to grow food, here's how to hunt food, here's how to forge food, here's how to get, take care of your water needs, here's alternative energy, this is a survival podcast. Why do we talk about all this stuff that's a mixture of politics and economics? Because you need to understand the risk that you're under. You need to understand how precarious your situation is. And that's the next article that I have for you today, written by Peter Schiff. Peter Schiff says, the economy's not improving. And and Peter Schiff says, when the stimulus runs out, the saved jobs by the stimulus, Peter Schiff's saying, yeah, the Obama administration's right, they did save jobs. But as soon as the stimulus money runs out, the ones they saved are the first ones to go. Because they're the weakest of the weak that are out there. He also said that one of the things that the ass clown and his minions are putting in front of us... Peter Schiff didn't call him the ass clown and his minions. I call them the ass clown and minions. But Peter Schiff said the ass clown and the minions are putting in front of us the growth of GDP. It's an indicator of strong economic recovery. Now... I've understood the voodoo behind the GDP for a long time, but I've never heard it put quite so easy to understand, as Peter Schiff put it in this article. He said to use the GDP to judge the economic success of a nation is like judging the economic success of an individual based on how expensive his watch, his car, and his house are that he has debt against. So what you're saying is if the guy has a million-dollar house that he owes a million dollars on, and he has a $10,000 Rolex watch that he owns $10,000 on, and he's driving a $100,000 car that he owes $100,000 on, well, he's worth about $1.11 million. No, he has $1.11 million in debt. And what Schiff is saying is that factored into the GDP is the growth of the money supply, which is the growth of our debt. So when they say the GDP is moving upwards, all they're saying is our debt increased. So your ass-clown government goes into an inflationary money policy keeping interest rates artificially low and pumping millions and millions and trillions of dollars into your economy. They pass it around to the banker buddies that they're supposedly against and passing stiff legislation about so they have the power to go break them up now while they're giving them tax, tax breaks on the back end to recoup the money that they created out of thin air in the first place... All of the money is additional debt, they put the debt up on the wall and say, see, we're growing again. This is why we're doomed. This is why there cannot be a true recovery. This is why Peter Schiff is right. Now Peter Schiff, Gerald Salenti, all these futurists, all these economists that, that that look at these things rationally are forecasting something way different from me though. They're saying this can't be sustained through the next year. This is this is this is craziness. See, I don't buy that. These people are good at their manipulation. And the money is going to flow all through 2010. Let me tell you something else that I don't think these people are aware of. uh, And and there's probably more of this type of thing getting ready to happen that's going to stir a lot of perceived uh, improvement and growth in the United States. Right now, the cellular networks... Right? The 3G networks, the 2G networks, the GSM networks, the TDMA networks, all of the wireless networks. Sprint, AT&T, Verizon, all of them. Totally screwed. They're totally screwed. They're being held together proverbially with duct tape. I know. One of the companies that I work with is, a, is deeply involved in the planning and the management of uh, networks. I can't say which, with, with whom, but with major carriers globally. Another company that I work with provides labor to those companies to build new, do buildouts, to put up new towers, to put in new equipment and things. Well, here's what's happening: every provider is being crippled. Their networks are being crippled. Verizon too, for all of their bad mouthing about AT&T. AT&T's woes are right straight from the iPhone, folks. AT&T has the iPhone is a blessing and a curse. It gives them a dominant position in the market because they're the only ones that have it. But everybody that's out there streaming music on Pandora, driving down the road, is crushing their network. Verizon is starting to get these new phones, smartphones, apps on them, right? Phones are coming out like the Android that are actually doing the same types of things now as the iPhone. As these handheld devices start sucking all this data across these networks, it's crushing the networks. It's the the growth of the application layer, the growth of the data throughput is faster than they can grow the networks. So every single network in America that's going to compete on these new data platforms is receiving a major upgrade next year, most of them to a technology called LTE, which is going to be billions and billions of dollars spent on hardware, on labor, on city permits, and all of that money is going to get spent and it's going to impact their profit negatively at first it has to but they're screwed it's like a city that has to put new roads in they got to do it or they're doomed so the money's going to get spent and it's going to flow into the economy at the exact same time that the ass clown second half of his stimulus is going to dump in in early 2010 2010 is going to look decent it's not going to look great it's not going to have the stock market gains that we had in 2009 because These gains were artificial. You look for a gain in the neighborhood of 10% next year. Do you look for jobs to start coming back a little bit as more and more people go back to work toward the second half of the year, right about the time of the election? Look for every Democrat to be singing the praises of economic recovery in the midterm elections. I don't know if the people will buy it or not. I don't care what you vote for. I'm telling you, don't believe it when it happens. Don't believe it when it happens. Don't buy into it. Don't fall for it. Don't do it don't decide that happy days are here again and we're on another 7 year run it's not going to happen when you see it come back exactly the way that I'm telling you now remember I told you it was coming back and stay conservative, not in your politics but in your investing and your asset allocation, people are going to get hurt more this time around than they got hurt last time around more than you can imagine when this thing comes back the band is going to play, the media is going to go into a virtual masturbation about it because they want their prince to succeed. And they're going to convince people. And when people are convinced, and cheap money's still out there, and it will be, the credit's credits loosened up, and people can get a hold of money and go deeper in debt. It's going to flow. And when people that have been out of work for a year get a decent job paying a decent wage, instead of paying off their debt, they're going to reward themselves for how much hardship they went in. And they're going to spend that money. And that's what we're going to deal with. And what's looming over all of our heads, long-term, globally, that nobody wants to talk about? Food shortages. Food shortages that are going to interplay with this economic condition and cause massive problems. Massive problems. I'm not saying that we're going to be having riots for food in the street in three years. I think when people say stuff like that, they're idiots. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. Because when you start putting hard timelines on things, you're saying that you know more than you do. But eventually we have to get to a point where these two worlds collide. Where money and a lack of money and money and excess money and a shortage of food collide. So what's going on with food out there right now? Well, uh, the Guardian has a piece out today saying that Great Britain should expect long-term food shortages going in the future. It's a bleak future for uh, Great Britain when it comes to food supply. And they're they're labeling it a perfect storm and it's a it's a kind of a, a quad Drupal whammy of uh, Pests and diseases that are coming into Great Britain from outside of the country Uh, So you've got pests And and, and, uh, uh, you know uh, Critters that are basically eating up the crops And diseases that are Infecting not only the crops But the livestock as well So it's reducing Great Britain's ability To provide some of their own food So that makes them rely more on imports Remember they're already a net importer Of food just like we are Meaning they can't feed themselves anymore That means they bring in more food than they send out, and they're dependent on other nations to feed them. This is going to make this worse. They're also saying that they're having a lot of drought and drying up of traditionally available uh, uh, groundwater sources. So can't irrigate the crops quite as well as we used to. And on top of it, of course, we have to say it's climate change. Now, uh, I don't know whether they meant man-made CO2 anthropomorphic climate change. Have you noticed? Have you noticed that every true believer in climate change has learned the word anthropomorphic? And they think because they say it or write it, you're supposed to be impressed? So I don't know whether they meant man-made climate change or not. I'll tell you what is real: the climate of the Earth has been changing. And it has been changing in some ways that are positive and parts of the world and negative in other parts of the world. In many ways, it's been negative for the UK, not because it's warmer there. Every person I know from England that moves to Texas, and I know quite a few of them, say, oh my God, I love it here. It's so warm. It's so warm. It's the dry part of the warmth. They're growing. I mean, there's places in Great Britain where they're starting to grow grapes again. Oh, they used to do that a few hundred years ago. Yeah, 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 like in the medieval warm period. Uh, And then all the vineyards went to France after, you know, the Little Ice Age hit, right? We forget all that. But let's let that go. They're right when they say climate change is a problem because agriculturally it's difficult to adjust to Now, whether you drive a Humvee or a Prius isn't going to change whether the climate changes or not, but we still have to deal with the consequences of it, and we do have climate change going on throughout the world. It's the depletion of the water that worries me most. China is drilling down into fossil aquifers. They're pumping the water from ancient seas from miles below the surface, and unlike shallow aquifers, it rains and the water percolates down and it refills. Fossil aquifers do not refill. We're doing it here in the United States as well. It can only go on for so long. So there's... In Great Britain, food shortage is being forecast, and so nobody wants to admit it, but we're doing the same things here. On top of this, our, our, our agricultural practices are salting our earth. Our, our, our farmlands are turning into salted desert. Ask the Australians. They'll tell you how bad it is down there. They now have water in their swamps that's almost as salty as the seawater miles and miles inland. And that's not about global warming and climate change and CO2. It's about irresponsible irrigation practices. Just continuing to water land and water it and water without rebuilding the organic components so that the salts down in the earth are brought to the surface and then they run off. And then what is the solution? We'll pump the salt water to the sea. So we're getting rid of the rest of the water that we have because we've salted the earth. That's what we're doing, and tie in one more for you. Now people will say, "Well, the Indians have been starving, you know, all through history. You can remember people having famines and starvation in India. Why should we care about India? Because India is not the the India of today is not the India of 1965 that you remember." India today is a global economic power. They are growing more rapidly than the United States, even when we were still growing before our recession. They are becoming one of the most powerful nations economically in the world as part of the BRIC alliance, Okay, which is Brazil, Russia, India, and China. They're part of that block. There's over a billion people there. They have nuclear weapons. It's an advanced socialist government. A fairly tame socialist government by some standards, but a socialist government with a billion-plus people. Isn't that great? Well, they're traveling a hard time feeding those billion people this year due to grain shortages. Now, they've had two bad years of grain production in India, so they're relying on imports as well. But they were smart. The Indian government was smart. They put together a great big stockpile of grains, and they have enough to get through the next year with without having a major crisis. But in spite of that, the price of grain in India has gone up 19%. The price of grain in India has gone up 19%, which of course drives up the price of every other thing on the store and the grocery shelf. Uh, For the people that do eat meat in certain parts of the the country, you feed the animals grain, so the price of meat goes up. Cereals contain grain, they go up. Bread contains grain, the bread goes up. You got it? So the price of food in India this year has gone up 19%, or more. Why? Because of food shortages. You think they're going to let their people starve, or do you think they might cut back a little bit going forward on, you know, the food that they export to places like, I don't know, the United States of America? This is a crisis everywhere in the world. The ability to produce food is not increasing at the rate the population is, and every new mouth has to be fed. So we get into a point where the people that say it's a eugenics program and they're going to wipe down the population of the earth and wipe us out, to a degree they might be right. Whether it's intended or not won't matter. When there's not enough food to feed everybody, people get to die. That's how it works. That's where we're headed. In big, strong countries like the United States, we'll see massive increases in the price of food, but we'll still probably be able to get enough food to keep most people fed. But the poorer nations in the world will be extorted. And all I'm asking you is how long before they decide, enough, get out, and they start fighting back. And can we afford warfare with countries like that? Will we have international support of warfare with a country simply because we want their food? War for oil is unpopular enough. How about war to steal food? But make no mistake about it, nations will go to war for food. It's happened a lot in the history of the world. There's been a hell of a lot more wars fought over food than fought over oil, than fought over money, directly anyway, than fought over gold, than fought over the salt mines, you name it. Money is one thing. Food is a completely different thing. If you do not have the ability to feed yourself you die. If you are in power and the people that you are in power over do not have the ability to feed themselves, they will turn on you and no matter how strong you think your military apparatus around you is, they will tear you out of your little house and they will kill you in the streets. Ask Marie Antoinette. When people are hungry, they will not submit to government rule unless it feeds them. So nations will fight wars over food. They will fight wars over the ability to produce food. They will try to keep other nations, and this is what we do, in enough debt so that they're forced to grow the big giant cash crops of wheat and barley and things like that that we can import and keep our our entire population living on gruel. So what do you do about all this? You do what I've been telling you to do for years. You make sure that you don't buy into the bullshit economic recovery, and if you want to put some money in the stock market, that's okay. I've done it this year. Made some money on it. Take your freaking profits. When when you have profits of 30% on something, take your profits. Take your profits. If you want to make 10% a year, you just covered it for three years, and you could have safety. And if during those three years you make three, four percent a year, you've done You've done good enough for four with complete safety. Take your profits. Own some gold. Have the ability to produce your own food. Have the ability to, 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 to produce your own water. I don't care if it's with a well. I don't care if it's with a rain catch. I don't care if it's with filtration. Have the ability to provide some of your own energy. Energy is going to get damn expensive, folks. Have some food stored up. If you have 30 days even of food stored up in addition to what normally flows through your house you can get through most food crises that will come your way even 30 days is, is sufficient to get you through most of them I'm comfortable a lot more comfortable with about 180 days my friend James Talman Stevens thinks that's not enough, he says a year we can disagree on that but what we'll agree with is you're better off with 30 days than zero have some food stored up Don't listen to the people on the TV set. They are not your friends. They're not looking to take care of you. And even if you're a liberal, and you like liberalism, and you like progressivism, you still don't listen to those people. They're not your friends. It's in the tank as they are for the administration you think you love. That administration is not your friend either. There is no difference in the government that we see today than the government we had a year and a half ago. They're doing the same things. Their governments today are taking care of the big industries and the big banks right now at your expense. I've just shown it to you. Don't trust them. And when they tell you that it's over and they tell you that it's happy days are here again, do not believe them. It doesn't mean that you don't participate in the false recovery to some degree. It doesn't mean that you don't benefit from it. But it means that you understand what it is and you have exit strategies planned for any place that you put your money. That when the signal comes, you have a quick and expedient way to get it out. Don't put all your money into your retirement account. Biggest lie told to the American people in the history of the earth. Plain and simple. That one is going to get so many people hurt in the next 10 years, when they have to wait 20 years to get to their money, and it's tied up. That's hurt so many people right now that we're just ready to start taking money out, and now they have to stay in the workforce and they can't do it because their portfolios went in half overnight. And even with a 30% recovery, if you first lost half, you're still down about 40%. Go work that math and figure it out. You know this great recovery of the market? It hasn't come back at the rate that it went down. 30% 30% up, 35% up for the year is based on if you put your money in while it was down, not if you were holding your money there while it was up and wrote it down. Have a plan for you and your family if all hell breaks loose. I, I don't talk a lot about all hell breaking loose. When I when I when I mean you know civil unrest, riots in the streets, bloodshed, anarchy, rebellion. I don't talk about it a lot because I think it's not the most probable thing that's going to occur. But it damn sure could. Be prepared for what you're going to do if it happens. Have a fallback location if it's at all financially feasible. Go find yourself a little plot of land, a couple acres somewhere out in the sticks. Throw a travel trailer on the son of a bitch. Get yourself enough stuff there that you can go there for at least 30 days and be okay for 30 days. Have at least that. I prefer you had more but at least that, if it's if it's possible. Don't go into deep debt to do it. Don't put yourself into financial risk to do it. It's not that important. But if you're deciding between buying a brand-new car for $30,000 or driving your old car for five more years and taking the $30,000 and buying yourself a little piece of land somewhere and, and a, a, a three dollars or $4,000 travel trailer to go on that piece of land, setting yourself maybe a few solar panels up on it, or buying it somewhere where you can get an electrical hookup, maybe over those years putting a well in or finding something with a creek on it or something like that already, and creating a little sustainable fallback location for yourself, that's a better place for your money. The very worst thing that'll happen, I'll be completely wrong, the economy will rebound, the bands will play for real, the economy will rage... Everything will get better. You will have stayed diversified in your investments, which means you'll benefit anyway. And that little piece of land that's a fallback location, its value will appreciate like crazy because real estate goes up when when the economy goes up. So if I'm completely wrong, that little safe haven becomes a nice little piece of rural property that you could sell off to somebody that wants to build their dream home there when you decided that Jack was crazy. Or you can use it as a deer camp and hand it down to your family. One way or another, it's a stable, safe investment. Rural property is a great investment. It hasn't even declined when everything else fell apart. I've been shopping for it continuously. I'm always shopping for rural real estate. Even if I'm not going to buy I'm always looking at the price, what's available, where can I find it. And I'm telling you right now, the land in places like that has not come down hardly at all. Even though your neighbor's house may have cut in half in value and caused your house to cut in half in value, five acres out in the out in the, in the, in the you know kind of a rural area somewhere, it's come down two or three percent maybe if you're lucky, maybe. Why the stability in that type of investment? It has real underlying value. It's not a tenth of an acre that's taken up over half of its space by a house. It was put together with sticks in three weeks under a mass building project and then called a the McMansion because it looked pretty on the outside. And it really isn't built half as good as a house built in 1955 was. It's real. It has tangible value. It has the ability to produce. Put your assets there. That's the place to put your money. Trust me. It's a no-lose proposition. As long as you can afford it. Please don't do this if you can't afford it. Have a garden plant trees, plant bushes, plant vines. Plant things that will produce food for you over and over and over again with minimal care. Practice permaculture. If you have room for it and it makes sense and it fits your lifestyle, get some small livestock. Even a small flock of chickens can provide you protein on a daily basis. Learn to grow food that they'll eat. Don't feed them chicken feed. That's not renewable. You can't grow chicken feed. If you feed them chicken feed, feed it as a supplement. Learn how to grow things. Learn what products are good to feed your chickens. They'll pretty much eat anything you will. So the lettuce that's a little bit wilted, feed that to your chickens. Feed your chickens from things you can produce as much as possible. The more land you have, the more you can feed your chickens with what you grow. Now, if you want to run meat, chickens, you know, as a primary source of meat, a chicken a week, it's it's really difficult to do, honestly, without a lot of land. But if you want a small a small flock that produces most of the eggs for you, you occasionally let a brood raise up, and you occasionally, you know, maybe it's maybe it's 12 chickens a year or something that you're, uh, that you're using for meat or something like that, you can almost, almost on, on a couple acres provide them everything they need from the land that they're on. And the supplemental feed is very minimal, so just stock some extra in case you can't get it. But make sure that you stay diversified. All of these things I'm talking about, you have to see them as investments. You do this, and then all of these things that that I talk about today that should make the average American scared, and instead of scared, it just puts them into denial. They bury their head in the sand like an ostrich. I say most Americans have their head so deep in the sand; if they inhaled, they drowned on sand. Their lungs would fill with it. That's how head, how deep their head is. You're aware, but you don't have to be afraid. You do those things, you can get through just about anything. The American people, at our core, are strong. We're resilient people. We might have been enslaved by debt. We might have had generation upon generation try to shelter the next generation from the hardships of the previous one. to the generation now has no idea what hardship really is. They think if their iPod is discharged, they're in hardship. They think if their Internet goes down for a day, that's hardship. They think they have a right to things that are not rights. Like internet access, they think that's a right. A lot of them, I think, think that's in the Constitution. (laughs) They think they have an iPod and internet amendment in the Constitution. They have no idea. But that's who we still are at our core. It's there, it's just sleeping. I want you to awaken it in yourself, I want you to awaken it in the people around you. And I want you to believe enough in yourself and your own capabilities to not ever take these actions because you're afraid. I want you to take them because they empower you and because they liberate you. That's what this is really all about. Modern survivalism, is a lot of people like to throw that term around now as though it was their idea, Modern survivalism is about liberty more than anything else. If you don't create liberty, it doesn't really matter. Like I've said, you can feed a prisoner well. He's still in prison. It doesn't really help anything. You know, I guess the biggest thing that that I can tell you is realize the power that you have to shape and sculpt your own life and never forget it. Never, for a minute, underestimate it. There's a reality here. We can be mad at the government. And I told you some things today that should make you mad. Only because I want you to understand reality. But what I really want you to understand is none of that stuff affects you as much as the things that you do, the actions that you take, and more importantly, the internal voice that's going on in your head on a daily basis. If that voice speaks to you in a, a voice of scarcity and fear, then you will have a life of scarcity and fear. If that voice speaks to you in empowerment and sustainability and abundance, then that's what you'll have. You will write your own path through life. And I know that sounds a little bit like a motivational speaker thing or some kind of spiritual thing or whatever. I don't care what your belief system is. That is a law of the, of, the, of humanity. That The things that people focus on, it doesn't matter whether you believe they're drawn to you or not. You create them for yourself. If you live in a world where you think there's not enough, you'll never have enough. If you live in a world where you think you can't fix a problem, you'll never fix your problems. But if you live in a world where you know that you control your own destiny and that you have control over your own problems, then you can make an impact for yourself, and that's what really matters. And if you do that, then you shape your life the way you want, even if everything else goes to hell around you. Is that overly optimistic? No, because throughout history, in the times of the greatest tragedies, there's been people that have done it. And if they did it, you can do it too. We can learn from history, not just what not to do, but what we should do. They always say that history shows us the mistakes of the past so that we won't repeat them. They should focus on the fact that if you study history properly, it shows you the effective things that were done in the past, specifically so that we can repeat them and we can learn from them and we don't put off Prior wisdom is just a bunch of old fools, which I think is what the, the, the education system and the media is trying to turn our founding father, fathers into today, a bunch of old, old fools. They weren't old fools. They believed in the ideal that is, Ameri- in a, that is America, just like I do. And all I'm saying is that ideal is more about your spirit and your heart than anything anybody does up in Washington, D.C. So live the life you want now. That's a great way to live. That's what I've been talking to you about for years. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. You can scream And you can holler It really doesn't matter all git span